and trying to get shoveled out from all the snow up here in Wisconsin but yeah things are going good awesome how how uh so like I said you were a teacher how has you know this calling of education come to you like what is it about teaching that you feel a need to be in when I went to college I started off as a biology major I had no idea what I wanted to do my mom was a biology major so I was like I'll try that that'll be fun And so I got to UWS, I took bio 101 for literally a week, and then I dropped the course and I changed my major because like I am not suited for biology at all. Teaching had always kind of been in the back of my mind just because I have family members that are teachers, that kind of stuff. And I taught piano lessons a bit too. So I knew that I, I liked working with kids. So I took an intro to education course and right off the bat, I loved it. I was like, yep, I can absolutely do this. So I started um, with just that intro course my first semester. Then I officially changed my major to education, did my clinicals, all that kind of stuff. And just kind of as the process went along at UWS, I just kept growing more and more in love with it. So it's definitely, it's been a really good fit for sure. Awesome. So how long have you been teaching? So I was doing my student teaching this past fall. Um, I did that at an elementary school in my hometown and it was, it was so much fun. I was with a third grade class. As I was student teaching, I also got the opportunity to do an internship, which was a great experience. Um, Basically, it just meant that I was able to take a bit more control of the classroom at a faster rate. And then after I graduated in January, I hopped right into subbing that like next Monday because all of my paperwork for the district was filled out. I was already an employee. So I've been subbing for a couple of months now, and it's been a lot of fun, a lot of learning and, you know, just working with the different grade levels, like, you know, kind of seeing how things go, but it's been a lot of fun. Cool. So tell me a little bit more about the third grade level. Like, what do you like about the third graders more than anything else? I really like the third graders because I, I feel like at that age, they kind of have a little bit more maturity. They're really kind of developing their personality is um, they can carry a conversation and they just have the best sense of humor, but they're still, they're still innocent and they still, you know, want hugs and just want to talk to you and, you know, just come in and smile and want to tell you all about how their, um, how their weekend's been, that kind of stuff. So they're just, they're really fun to interact with. And, um, I feel like with them, you can really, like, they want to learn, and they're excited when they learn new things, and you can kind of really see those light bulb moments when they do learn something, and they just want to keep going with that. Yeah, that's awesome, and I I just think that's so amazing, because a lot of times we forget what it's like to be a third grader, and, and there is certain things that is appropriate with maturity, but really, growing up is learning how to respons- learn how to handle responsibility while still having like a childlike spirit. So tell me, how does hanging around third graders help you personally? Third graders, one thing about the third graders that I was with is I could really see their friendships um, grow. And I saw, you know, um, like there would be a little like third grade drama, that kind of stuff. I think that that really kind of helped me see how um, these little issues, and I mean, there's these issues are important, but, you know, to a third grader, it really helps you see Um, the bigger picture of things. I think one thing that really helped me too is just kind of seeing a lot of these lives that these kids are living, just how 
blessed I've been to be raised in a Christian home with two loving parents. I mean, I've seen a lot of these kids who their parents are separated or they just come from not good environments. And it just really helped me um, to see the need for a stable, loving figure in their lives and just, you know, the need for, like I said, good people in their lives. And just, it really put things into perspective for like what's truly important and then what's just like the little mundane stuff. Yeah, I really, that's a great answer. I like how you said the bigger picture, how it helps you put that into perspective. And just going into something a little more deeper, because I've experienced this because I volunteer and I volunteered in the kindergarten age. And I don't, I'm in the stories have stuck with me forever where, you know, I'm helping kids read and I got to, you know, grade them on a kindergarten scale, like what they can do. And this one girl, a little girl kindergartner, she was struggling really bad. And, you know, obviously I helped her through it. But the thing that stuck with me is she said, you know, well, where's my dad? And, you know, I didn't really know what that meant. And I'm like, you know, 22 at the time. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. She goes, I haven't seen him in a really long time. And so for me, that really stuck with me. And I, from that day, I was like, man, it really does matter when, like, just even at a kindergarten level, like you were saying, people struggle just reading if, if they don't have that father figure there and you can tell the difference right away. So what, what, what about that story can, you know, you know, triggers anything that, that you were just previously saying? Yeah, I think, you know, I remember being in elementary schools and I loved all of my elementary teachers. I thought they were, you know, awesome. And then running into them um, in college and just kind of now it's been, you know, you really form that connection with them and that bond. Um, but one thing that stuck out to me a lot is these kids that I've been wor working with, um, even, you know, subbing, haven't been working that long, but they'd be like, oh, I, I wish I could come home with you or I wish that you were my mom and stuff. And it's like, you know, I remember loving my teachers, but I never would have been like, oh, I wish you could be my mom because I had that stable figure at home that I really cared about. So that just kind of stuck with me, like just in the way of, well, these kids don't have that. And I think of my parents and how big of an influence they've been in my life, how, I mean, even still, I go to them all the time, just with questions, looking for advice, that sort of thing. And just realizing that a lot of these kids don't have that. It's really, it's sad to see. Um, and I think a lot of it too, I mean, we're trying to teach these kids how to read, how to write, how to, you know, do math and that stuff. And I mean, there's such a gap there already with COVID and how that affected things. But then you see these kids coming in that are thinking, I don't have a mom at home, or I don't have a dad at home, or my parents got into a fight this morning, that kind of thing. It's, you know, it's hard to expect them to come in and learn at their very best when there's already so many things weighing on them. So that's why I think teaching, and I've heard it, you know, multiple educators say it before, it's really become a teacher role as well as a parent role and just mm -hmm. making sure that you're giving them a stable enough environment where we can still expect them to learn and still grow and see those strides. Yeah, and that's something that I think is important to talk about because it is a lot of pressure on you to not only be a teacher, but to accompany a parent type figure along with that when there isn't that type of support at home so talk to me about I mean it, I don't I don't want to say pressure but I mean I know you sense it like how do you handle something like that not just being a teacher but you know when someone asks you oh I wish I or say I wish I could go home with you because what's going on at their house like how do you ha handle that 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is just balance. One thing that my cooperating teacher when I was student teaching with did a very good job of is just kind of emulating the importance of having a classroom family and a classroom community. The last day of my student teaching, she gave me this read aloud book that I could read to my future students. And it's something along the lines of like, we're a family. And just, she showed me how you need to come in and just give these kids um, like a family sense in the classroom. I think that that is so important. Like I said, so when they don't have a stable environment at home, they can at school and they know, hey, I'm here helping you grow as a learner, but I am also here to see you grow as a person. And I'm here when you need to talk about tough issues that you're going through. I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, I think a lot of kids have so much to say and stuff. And I think it's just important to really reiterate to them, like, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. It's hard. You know, I think one thing that I learned too is just really taking time to show kids that you're going out of your way to help them. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we would be about to start a math lesson and a kid would come up to me about something going on in their lives or an issue they were having with a friend. And, you know, it was really I realized the importance of saying, hey, this is what we're doing right now. We got to get into this lesson, but I want to talk to you. So I'm going to come find you at this time and we're going to sit down and just talk about it and really showing them like you are important and I want to hear what you have to say and I'm going to make the time for that. If it can't be right now, I will make sure it happens. I think that that was really important. And, you know, it, you can tell how then when you do go to them and say, hey, I heard what you were saying. Tell me about it. It just, you can see how much it means to them. Yeah, I love that. I love that you you've learned how to listen because that is such a big deal. And that's something that I don't think is taught enough. Like we were taught a lot of hard skills, especially in high school and in the early stages of middle school where, you know, you know we press numbers and we, we experiment and that's good. But honestly, I don't know if I've ever, ever learned how to listen other than, you know, going through things like this. And, and I just think it's awesome that you said that and another thing that I think is interesting is sometimes I don't really know if there is a difference between teaching and parenting per se because as a parent you're always teaching whether it be soft skills or hard skills and anything in between so for them to look up to you as a as a parenting figure would be very obvious to me because as a parent that's really what you're doing all the time and I think it's great that you are not only teaching, but you're listening because teaching and listening go hand in hand. So let's talk a little bit more about, about listening because this reminds me of a story of my, my nephew who he had a little bit of a temper tantrum and, he, and he's, he's sitting just staring out the window like an old man. And we're like, what's wrong? He's like, I just want to be recognized. And we're like, how do you even know what that word is? So tell me a little bit about handling some temper tantrums and, and, you know, learning how to recognize kids' feelings. At UWS, they did a really good job of kind of just saying to us over and over again is when a kid is acting out, it means that they need something. And I think, you know, that should be looked at in moderation. I mean, sometimes kids act out because, you know, they're just having a bad day or they do things that aren't appropriate. But I think a lot of times it is, you know, they're acting out because they need something. I think of two girls in my class and they were in an argument about something. I can't even remember what it was, but they were in an argument and I pulled them out into the hallway. I was like, Hey, what's going on? And one of them just kind of blew up at the other one and started yelling at her in the middle of the commons. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Kind of freaking out. So with them, it was just kind of going back and being like, Hey, we need to calm down. You need to take a minute and just kind of breathe, kind of figure out what, what it's going, what's going on and what you want to say. And then we're going to come back together so we can hear what you have to say and we can listen. I think especially with younger grades, like that's so important of just saying, 
I need you to try to, you know, instead of just saying, oh, well, do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? Like teaching them that skill of, okay, you're old enough now that I need you to tell me what I can do to help you, or I need you to tell me what you need. So I think that that was a big thing, just kind of, you know, like listening to them and teaching them how to speak in a way that I can help them and get them what they need. Yeah, that's awesome. So one, and this is just, uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but one fight that's always happening amongst kids is uh, the sharing, right? And like the, I had it first. So how do you handle that? Oh my goodness. That's, that's a good question. Um, I think that's where teaching them problem solving is huge. Um, I think when thinking back to like the third grade class that I was with, um, they all cared so much about each other. So I think when those kinds of situations arose, what I would kind of do is say, okay, well, this is where this person is coming from. And this is where this person is coming from. And I know you both really care about each other and you guys don't want to hurt each other, do you? And, you know, then of course they're like, no, because, you know, we love each other and we're friends and all that. And then usually it was interesting to see they could usually kind of problem solve it from there. I think uh, sometimes there are instances though, where we just kind of need to be like, hey, we just got to put whatever it is down and we'll come back to it later, you know, and just kind of move on from it. But I think, you know, looking for those moments where I can teach them, you know, I'm here as an adult to help you problem solve. I can't fix all your issues for you. You need to build that resilience and learn how to do this on your own, but I'm here to kind of coach you through it. That was really important. And like I said, it was really cool to see how, you know, then they were kind of gotten that mind frame of, yes, you're my friend and I don't want to hurt your feelings. And this is where I'm coming from. And it was really incredible to see, even though that they're so little, like they could be so mature about it at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're almost more mature than adults, it seems like. <laughs> But yeah, I really like that, how you just reminded them of perspective and, and their relationship with each other. I think that's great. One thing, this is a little bit of a pivot, but it's it goes into something that I think needs to be talked about. And so just in general, and interestingly enough, at the third grade level, what is discipline? Like, how do you, how do you administer discipline or how do you teach discipline or do you even call it that at this age? Like, what is that at third grade? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that that is really challenging, especially in schools now. I think discipline in the sense of, um, it's a hard question. I think- Well, what is it? What is it to you, first of all? To me, discipline, it kind of goes along the line of resilience as far as I need you to be able to focus, to do this, to get through this and do your very best it. I think one thing that I've been seeing a lot is kids have just lost that resilience. The first time, like I'll give them a worksheet and they'll look at it and they'll be like, this is hard and they'll shut down. They'll, you know, start crying. And this isn't all of them, you know, but you see it a fair amount. They'll just kind of give up. So it's teaching that resilience and that discipline of like, hey, this is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard, but we need to work through it. And I need you to have that discipline to be able to do that, you know, and kind of showing them like the larger outcome of things. I think that's really important. Discipline in the sense of like consequences. Are you talking about that also or? Well, this this is just a very open-ended conversation because it's, it's, it is peculiar to me because what I was leading into is, is there's discipline from certain roles, I believe. But you don't see males in elementary education whatsoever. You don't see male teachers in middle school education hardly. And you do see some in high school education. So my my questions are, do you think discipline is, is between more than just one person? 
for example, and it's a group, it's a community effort. And in, in this community effort, is there different roles that can actually help cultivate this resiliency that you're talking about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's like you were saying, there aren't as many like male figures in education and stuff, and especially being a young female working in the middle school and stuff like that. Um, it's hard to command that respect for sure. I think um, when I was with those third graders for the longer period of time, it was easier and they were younger. But I think it's important with discipline um, to, again, get, no matter what age, show them why the discipline is happening. So I think of, you know, sending kids to the office for a referral. It's not fun, but it's something that we need to do sometimes. But um, showing them this is why this is happening. This is what you chose to do and why I need to do this. I think that's really important, showing them the reason why. And I think also one thing that I've really seen is it's important to come in and kind of show them, uh, you know, whenever I go into a classroom, I say, these are my three rules. I kind of come in acting a little bit more tough. And then as they show me that we can have fun and we can, you know, be more open with each other, then I show them, hey, if you can be responsible and you can do your jobs and you can respect me, then we can have more fun. Then I don't need to send anybody to the office. You know, then I don't need to take away your free time or that sort of thing. But just really showing them that, hey, you have the power here to kind of project how our day goes. You know, I think of a classroom that I was subbing in and the kids were just kind of, the first day I went in, the kids were kind of wild. They were all over the place. And, you know, we kind of had to go back like, nope, I need you all to go back to your seats. So we had a talk and, you know, I just kind of told them, if you can show me that you can handle having this freedom and this, you know, free time or whatever it may be, then we can do that. But if you show me that you can't handle it, then we can't, then we can't have as much fun, that sort of thing. So just really showing kids that, you know, they're in control of their own actions and then they have power in the classroom, but they have to handle that power responsibly. Yeah. And that, that to me is what discipline is like exactly everything that you just said, where it's, you have power in your choice. First of all, people don't even think that they have power, which is unfortunate. And so that's where you get a lot of the kids that tend to, you know, shy, sorry, shy away and hide in the corner. And But then you have the other kids that know they have the power, but they use it for wrong. And, and it, I think it's great that you're really showing them how you have a choice and you can either be rewarded for your choice or you can be consequent for your choice. I think too often in today's world, we're saying in general, your choices don't matter. And, and if you do make choices, then it's whatever, then that's fine. Just do whatever you want. So I would like to hear more because you said previously about how you were raised in a good home with, with two figures that were strong and encouraging. I would like to know just a little bit more about how that helped you be who you are today, whether it's in the discipline aspect or, or in the conflict resolution aspect? You know, when I think back to how I was raised, my parents always taught me right from wrong. And then, you know, as I got older, they gave me more freedom. So, you know, it wasn't, oh, you turned 18, now go explore the world. You know, we're kind of letting you out on your own. It was that gradual release of freedom as I got older and as they saw that I was able to handle that. So when I turned, you know, 18, it wasn't really that big difference of, oh, now you're an adult. It was more like, yeah, you know, we, you know, trust, we trust that we've raised you appropriately and we trust that you can go make good decisions. I also think, you know, they, my parents raised me in a very church centered or a very Christ centered community. Um, I had a lot of good family around. My church family was a huge part of my life. So I knew that if I ever made a decision, one, I needed to account to my parents for it. I needed to account to God for it. And then also I had this whole community outside of just my parents. I had 
my aunts, uncles, cousins. I had my church family, I had my worship team family that really kind of helped keep me accountable and that I knew were there to support me and care for me. But I knew that if, you know, I did something that, you know, wasn't appropriate or wasn't right, it wasn't just my parents I had to answer to. Like I said, it was God and then that other community outside of that. So I think that that really kind of helped raise me um, in a good way and just helped keep me accountable. Um, and like I said, ultimately we have that accountability to God too. So that was always really instilled into me by my parents, just not, you know, not, oh, well, don't do anything wrong because then you have to come to us about it. You know, they were like, you don't do anything wrong because you have to account to God for that. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. And I think a lot of times people have misinterpretation of what, one, the church is, two, Christianity and structure and discipline. And a lot of times what people need to understand is discipline isn't bringing people down. It's bringing people up because they fall discipline is a way of first of all for myself and then to others where it's like and again that word that you said accountability which is so important because we all fall we all make mistakes and we all get sidetracked and and it takes love essentially love from one another in in in, in a crowd and in a community where we are bringing people back up to who they truly are that's what i I love about education and, and the teachers that do it correctly. It's, it's, it's not that you got the answer wrong. Okay? It's about your attitude afterwards, right? It, or even prior, right? You are better than this problem. And that's why not quitting is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, really going back to that word of the problem of, you know, if a kid has a temper tantrum or something, something along those lines acts out in a way that they shouldn't, not just saying, oh, I'm sending you to the office because you shouldn't have done that, but saying, okay, this is why you shouldn't have done that. And I'm trying to help you grow as a person. And, you know, I think it goes back to being right how I was raised too. You know, if it was never, discipline was never a place of, oh, like you did this. So, you know, we're taking away your phone or something like that was a place of, we want to teach you right from wrong. And we want to teach you how to handle situations correctly, that sort of thing. So I think we can kind of see that parallel in education too, of just, you know, really disciplining, like you said, out of love and showing kids, Hey, I want to help you grow so that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and I and I like you mentioned it twice now about how you explain what you're doing. And that and that not just for third graders, that's for that's between you and your friends, between you and your mom and dad, and, and everyone that you can imagine. It's important to communicate one, your feelings, two, your response to it, and, and vice versa. And I think that's just something that, especially for men, we just bury everything, suppress everything. And it's literally the worst thing that you can do. It's actually better to communicate something incorrectly than to not communicate it at all. So do you talk about that at all? Yeah, I think in the classrooms that I've been, we've really kind of expressed like, hey, what you were saying, like, hey, if you're feeling this way, I don't want you to hide. I mean, the one thing that's really nice about kids is you can tell if, you know, something is wrong, Um, but then teaching them like, hey, I need you to tell me what's going on because I want to help you. So really teaching them like, you know, you just got to get it out. So then we can address it. Cause if you're keeping it suppressed inside of you, we can't do anything. We can't go anywhere from there, you know, and just teaching kids, I, you know, that you want to hear what they have to say again, going back to that. But no, I think, you know, just really telling them it's expressing to them how it's important to just kind of say what we're feeling. Because like I said, if we don't, then how are we supposed to fix the problem? Hmm. 
Yeah, so being young in in a fairly old environment where you know education has been around forever, but being young and new, what what do you hope to see in education, whether it be tomorrow or twenty years from now? One thing that's really encouraging to me is that being a recent graduate, I can I see so many good people going into the education system. I see, you know, all the people that I've worked with as far as the teachers at the school I've been at, you know, the um, my friends that I graduated with. I see people that want to go in and really make a difference. So I would say that my hope for the education system is that we can come in and really teach those kids resilience. We can get back to, you know, get them caught up from COVID, all that, you know, get them where they need to be academically. I think another thing that's really great to see is when parents come can come in and kind of join with our classroom community. Um, I saw that a fair amount when student teaching, you know, it was great to see how parents were willing to come in and help and they wanted to be a part of it. I think the more of that we can see the better. I think when, um, you know, I think it's great when parents come in and want to get involved in education and, you know, their child's learning. So I hope to see um, just even more of a community built as we go along here and just see kids grow and who they are as people and who they are as learners. Yeah, community is so important. And that's really what education is for, is to help these kids become ready to be a, a positive, inspiring impact in the community. And community really, to me, is what it's all about. Now, you have mentioned this word resilience a lot, and I love that word. And I never really heard it that much until this podcast, and I love it. So you really do appear, and I know to your bone that you are resilient. So tell me, why why is that so important to you? Like, what is it that just, you know, you really want these kids to be resilient for? Where does that come from? Well, you know, I, I think in life, I mean, we all go through really hard things. And, you know, some some people face that a lot earlier than others. But, you know, I don't know what necessarily the switch has been but like I said you a lot of these kids will face a problem and they'll just shut down and it's you know it's scary to see that because it's like what's going to happen when it's not on a math test what's going to happen when it's out in the real world when it's something that they can't give up on you know what happens when they're in the workplace and their work gets hard their job gets hard they can't just quit you know so I think that word to me is just so important because it's like you have to be a resilient person to be able to function in life you know you have to be able to say this is hard, but I need to get through this to get to this end goal. You know, I think even like college, college was tough at times, but you just have to have that resilience to push through it and look at the end goal. You know, the end goal being, I want to get my degree. I want to graduate. I want to do a good job at it so I can get out in the real world, get a job, start impacting other people. But I think, like I said, it's just so important to teach these kids, like you can't give up when things get hard because, you know, right now it might be your math test that's hard, but in the future, what happens when it's your job that's hard or a situation with your family that's hard, you know, just teaching them like you can't give up and you got to keep working hard and you got to keep doing this for the end goal. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me of, so I long-term sub in a district close to you and I just reminds me of a story where I, you know, because I was a long-term sub fairly new, I would get checked in on and one of the administrators there was checking in on me and we had talked about something that was going on. And basically there's a kid who's 16 years old retaking algebra one. And this is an easy algebra one class. And he just was not getting it. And for me, me and her, and she's, she's a great, great, great lady. Me and her just had a different perspective where I felt like I should fail him and let him get the grade he deserves. And she, she differed with me on that. And it was funny because she brought up the point 
he goes, well, he's only 16. And I go, exactly. He's 16. He's two years removed from possibly spending life in prison. That's not that, that we got a short amount of time. So to me, how do you, how do you handle, because there's different opinions everywhere we work, right? So how, so, so go from third grade conflict resolution to adult conflict resolution. How do you manage different perspectives and, and, and how does that either help you, possibly hinder you? Like what's, what's going on in the workplace where you know that there's just something that needs to be done? Yeah, you know, I think when we have them in third grade, we're teaching them there's going to be people that have different opinions than you, and that's okay. It's important to still love them as a person, and you don't have to necessarily agree with them. I think with conflict resolution, it's so important to teach them, like, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that you have to be enemies. You know, you can still very much love each other. You can still be friends, that sort of thing. You just might have to stay away from certain topics. Or if it is a topic that you can't shy away from, you might just have to share your opinion and just, you know, accept that you've made yourself heard and listen to that person as well, hear where they're coming from and see how you can best maybe compromise or move on from there. I think that that's, it's a hard topic though. You know, I think as humans, we always want to be heard and we want I know a lot of us want our opinions to be right. And, you know, you can especially see that in third grade when these kids are just adamant, you know, that they're right and stuff like that. Um, but it, I think just teaching them, um, you know, again, that, hey, you're not always going to be right. That's totally fine. It's okay to share your opinion. Just make sure that you're doing the same for others. You're listening to other people's opinion. You know, I think even with adults and stuff, it's important to just remember to really listen to people. And like what we were saying, it goes back to that listening to people. You know, I've when I, I think to when I've gotten into conflicts with other people, you know, really just kind of evaluating where I'm coming from saying, hey, is there something that maybe I am not seeing correctly? Is there something that my opinion could maybe be changed here? Um, and really just also kind of taking that self-responsibility of examining yourself and where you're at and your opinions. Yeah. And I think that's a testament to how you're raised and, and the way you're raised because I mean, that's basically what the Bible says. It's like, you got to check yourself first before you're going to check someone else, right? And even if we are totally right, which we never are, we're never 100% right, but let's just say in the perfect world, we are. Even then, is it really helping the community, which is the bigger picture here, for you to be right and stand alone on this lake? There's some things you die on the hill for, but a lot of it isn't necessary, and a lot of it really is more about unity and what's best for the community than it is about our own opinion and how we see things. So having that, that perspective of, okay, maybe I could be wrong here, I think is missing today in adults. And you can see it with politics and you can see it with just about anything. And I think it's it's so encouraging to hear you say that it's important to to administer this now at an early age so let's let's just talk about something that I find interesting here okay so you're telling these kids to be resilient right but you're also telling them to be introspective so how where is the balance there and how does that line if there is one like how do you not cross it like I said it goes back to just a balance of things I think oh, that's a hard question I think um just teaching kids that resilience and dying on a hill for something that you believe is a different thing. You know, I think it's just about teaching them to be 
good people. I think if we look at what the Bible says, you know, being a good person, it means loving others, regardless of their opinion, listening to others. It means standing up for the things that you believe in. But I mean, I think going back to like what you said, there's certain things that we need to stand our ground on, but there's also things that, Hey, maybe it's not as big of a deal. You know, I think also just teaching them to grow in maturity is a huge thing. You know, I think just personally myself, I remember there, I was having a conflict with this person, a certain person and you know, there were, we had to realize like, Hey, there's just kind of certain things that we can't talk about. And it created a rift for a while with that relationship. It was kind of like, you know, it got to a point where I'm like, I just don't want to talk to you. They didn't want to talk to me. Um, but I think we were both young at the time, but I think as we grew up, that relationship started to kind of mend itself where, Hey, now we can talk to each other and we can have good conversations. And, um, you know, and I think it was just that really growing in maturity and kind of getting into that mind frame of, Like, hey, we don't necessarily need to agree, but we still need to love each other and we need to be able to get along and just, you know, having that maturity to um, recognize that. Yeah, Uh, so many good things that you just said. And just so I can just piggyback off of it a little bit, the things that I'm hearing that are just need to be reiterated, it's, and personally for me, I've learned that the more I've given up things that I thought were important, okay, especially at the time, I was like, this is something that I can't you know, change my mind on. The more I've given that up, I've realized what's really, really important. And it would have never happened if I wouldn't have been willing to give up what I thought was important at the time. And so now I can firmly say, just like you said, what really is important is loving each other. So my biggest question to myself now is, is this bringing life? Like, is this something that I need to stand ground on because it's bringing life? Because if it's not, then it's not something that needs to be, you know, you know, to die on. And, and, and so I've learned that through a lot of humility. And, and so basically, at the, at the end of the day, I can say, well, what is something that you're willing to die for? At the end of the day, it's love and love for one another, like you said, regardless of that person's opinion about whatever it may be. And I think that is something that the Bible slowly but surely kind of introduces to us throughout you know our our process of humiliation and not humiliation but humility and and growth and I think it's amazing that you and and a lot of teachers and educators out there are educating people in stuff that's very very profound but in a very easy way for third graders to understand Yeah. And I think, you know, just, it's so important to, even as adults, you know, recognize like, Hey, it's okay to not always be right. You know, we're going to be wrong. And that's, it's not something we have to be embarrassed about. It's just how it is. You know, I think I know so many people and myself included, I've struggled with this, you know, just that always needing to be right and stuff, but, you know, really tearing those walls down and saying, Hey, it's okay if I'm not right. And, you know, this jeopardizing this relationship or jeopardizing, you know, whatever this may be is not, worth it for you to just always be right you know and really like you said that humility is so important of you know if I'm not right all the time the world is not going to crumble you know we're all going to be wrong at times you know and just really accepting that yeah and if I could just just narrow it down even a little bit more because this is something that's been on my heart lately is God just keeps telling me lose the ego battle and and that's that's and now hearing what you said that word resilience really I love it because it's lose the ego battle and be resilient in righteousness, right? So there's this give with our ego, and then there's this get with righteousness. And I think that's 
that's the duality in in this this battle between you know whatever you want to call it and i think you're seeing it from third graders on up and and then you know from adults on down and it, it's crazy how that that contradiction correlates and and how you are handling it from from a teacher's perspective and i just find that very very admirable i don't think there's enough teachers in this world yeah yeah, I think it's it's a big job at times, but you know, even um, I think it's important to remember too that like, hey, these kids are with us every as a teacher, these kids are with us every day, and they're seeing how we react to situations or seeing how we deal with conflict. You know, even if they don't know all the little details, like they're looking up to you as an example. And I mean, even you know, translating that outside of teaching, I mean, as Christians, we're to be an example to other people. You know, so if we're you know, if we have pride or if we have a big ego or if we don't have humility like other people see that and that's what we're displaying you know so just kind of checking ourselves and making sure that we're being a good witness and a good example whether that be to our family to our friends to people just in the everyday world um, and then in education we're being an example to these students you know let's make sure we're being good examples yeah I love it and, and so just give me a couple of examples like how 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 can you be a good example just in general yeah, I think, um, you know, I think we keep going back to it, just showing that love to people, showing, you know, in the school, showing love to all your students um, and just kind of teaching them how how they should handle things in this life. You know, I think going back to um, dealing with the conflict between students, really saying, hey, I'm not going to do this for you, but I'm going to teach you how this should be done, kind of modeling that, you know, if you're having maybe you disagree with somebody in the workplace, you know, just um, showing you know, I'm being an example to other people of how this should be handled, you know, and really just modeling over and that's a huge word in education is modeling over and over and over again of how we should handle situations. And, you know, I mean, I think it's important to remember that, like I said, in teaching or in the everyday world, like people see what we're doing. So if they see that we have a conflict with somebody or, you know, and it, we don't solve it, we don't go with it with a mind frame of, frame of love that people see that and it's an example to other people you know so just kind of you know in teaching just showing modeling how we should handle situations with love yeah and I think that's amazing I like that word modeling as well and I think something that I I didn't really have growing up and I think it's important or teachers to model this as well, but something that I find interesting, I just I just like to ask you this: How, when you make a mistake in front of your students, how do you model a good example there? Like, what's like, what do you do? You have a time where that's happened, or what can you say about that? Oh my gosh, with student teaching, like there were so many times where like things would just fall apart, whether it be a lesson would go terribly wrong, or I would say something to a kid that wasn't right, or you know whatever the case may be. But I think with that, I was so close with those students that I think we could just kind of be real and I could be like oh yep I made a mistake it's fine we're just gonna move on and you know maybe even like laugh about it or that sort of thing I think if it was a mistake one-on-one -on -one with a student you know just not being afraid to apologize and just saying oh yeah I'm I'm sorry you were right with this I was wrong with this and just you know not trying to put up this facade of oh yeah we're just gonna like move on I made a mistake we're gonna cover it up you know to try to be perfect you know I think it's just so important to be like yeah I made a mistake we all we all do it's fine you know we're gonna move on from it and you know it, as a, in the classroom when you make a mistake a lot of times your kids will catch you on it right away and point it out and I think it's just 
it, yeah, it makes fun of I got made I got made fun of so many times. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just important, you know, to say like, hey, we're all we're a classroom community and that's okay. You know, we can laugh about it. That's totally fine. And we're just gonna move on from it and keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it shows a lot of, I think, confidence and courage to be able to own a mistake. And something I was talking about, two things I was talking about with with a really good friend the other day was sometimes some people have never heard their parents apologize to them. And I think that's kind of crazy. And the other thing is there's a huge difference between making an earnest mistake and then an insubordinate mistake, right? Insubordination is something that's completely different than you making a mistake on your paper or you making a mistake when your lesson falls apart. I think people need to understand that those aren't really quote unquote mistakes. Those are, those are, those are steps to success. And I think the more kids understand that, the more we're going to see the things that you wanted to see, as you spoke about earlier, with, with the, the community and, and these kids being more confident and resilient in, in, their, in their projects that, they're, that, they, that they were born to take a purpose in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's just so important to recognize, like, hey, we're, we're raising the next generation here. You know, I, I, it sounds kind of cliche to say, I think so many people do say it, but it's like, really these kids are the kids that are going to grow up and they're going to become the next uh, politicians. They're going to become the next teachers. You know, what are we teaching them and are we teaching them how to be successful? Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I'll give myself or you a little background on me and then this will make a lot of sense as I, as I ask the next question, but for me growing up and I grew up in a small school, but for me, all that mattered was sports really. And I love sports. I think there's a great time and place for sports, and I coach sports now. It's uh, college football. It's great. It has it's such an avenue for things, and it builds a lot of that resilience that you're talking about. But for me, I grew up under this stupid notation that you were either played sports and you didn't do good in school, or you played sports and you didn't do anything with music. Now, thankfully, I've evolved from that. But but what do you think now? Are are you seeing anything in education now where? There's more of a holistic approach where there's not just jocks, there's not just nerds per se, there's not just band geeks, there's this one person is actually taking advantage of all opportunities, whether it be in music, whether it be in the classroom, or whether it be in sports. Are you seeing more of a holistic approach? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, that even um, emulates more in the middle and high school levels. Um, I think in elementary, it's creating those avenues of you know, this is accessible to everybody. You know, I think I've been able to sub in gym class even, and it's been a lot of fun, but, you know, teaching kids like, hey, you don't need to be the fastest to be good at this. And you don't need to always be the MVP to be good at this. You know, I think it's just really making sure that all kids are included um, and all kids have a chance to succeed. You know, I think whether it be gym class or music class, you know, just teaching kids that there are so many options out there and you don't have to just pick one of those. And like I said, I think you can even see it more in like the high school level, but I think with elementary, it's really just exposing kids to all these different things and, you know, making them feel valued and appreciated for those different things. Yeah. I I really like that. I think where I was from, basically what happened was if there wasn't a cool teacher teaching it, you didn't really take it. And no one really valued, like you said, or appreciated certain departments or departments within the education system so why would why would the kids right if the faculty isn't then why would the kids 
So let's dive into a little bit more about music because I see you got a piano and a violin in the background. So obviously it's a big part of your life. So tell me how has music evolved you? What, what does it mean to you? A few years ago, um, my worship leader left our church. I've been a part of my church's worship team for many, many, many years, but him leaving created the opportunity for me to be able to step in and lead worship and, you know, hop on staff at my church for a while. Um, and I think music is just such an important thing in life because it, I think it just opens up those doors for us to be able to kind of express ourselves more. You know, I even think to just the example of how, how do you start your day in the morning? You know, I can tell a difference if I start my day with worship, if I start my day by listening to solid Christian music versus if I start my day listening to maybe secular music or not at all. You know, I think it is such a powerful thing. And I mean, we even look at um, society now, how much music can affect people. It can affect people's thoughts. I mean, if you're in a sad mood or whatever, and you're just listening to sad music over and over and over again, I mean, you can't expect that you're going to be lifted up in that. You're probably just going to fall deeper into sadness. You know, um, I think that's true for the opposite. If, you know, you're filling yourself with positive music, if you're really diving into that, you know, most of the time you can kind of see an upward movement in your life and how things are going. This is a conversation that I could have forever, how important music is and how important positive music is. And from, from, a, from a calculation standpoint, from a frequency standpoint, the difference, from a neurological standpoint, the difference, from obviously a physical standpoint, the difference. And I heard a stat the other day where there was three, three, well, man, actually there's another cool story. I'll say, okay, I have to decide which one I want to tell. Maybe I can tell both. But the stat was what, what includes a healthy lifestyle? What actually helps people be stress-free? And, and it, physical, physical exercise is good. That is important. Diet, that was the second most important. And then the third was optimism. You have to be truly optimistic about your outlook in life in order for you to have a healthy spirit, mind, and body. And one of the best ways to be optimistic was one, hearing good things, and two, expressing music, expressing in poetry, expressing in painting, right? Expressing through the arts is one of the best ways to be optimistic. And I don't think that's talked about enough in our education system from what I've experienced, because all we did in music class was nothing. Like, you just try to get a good grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, um, like I, I teach piano lessons. I've been teaching piano lessons for many years because I took classical piano lessons for 14 years. Um, but I think even just going back to it's so interconnected with everything. I mean, even um, I see how giving piano lessons, it builds kids resilience. It gives them discipline. It helps them just grow as people. I mean, there's been so many times where I'll tell a student, hey, I want, of course, we need to learn the basics and all that. But once we do that, I want you to pick whatever song you want to learn and we're going to learn it, you know, and just seeing how that they get so excited about that. And that just resonates with them. And then it's cool seeing the songs that they pick and, you know, how it's so evident in who they are um, by the song that they choose. You know, I think it just has such a big impact on people and it just, you know, helps strengthen people for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think music is one of the best things that, that can help people, grow and, and express themselves creativity, creativity, and wow, I said that bad, and communicate and creatively. There we go. And I just think that the more we, we just open up that avenue for, for kids 
And it's not just it's not just a way to make money. It's not just a way to to be heard, but it is also a way to to listen. And and this is the other story that I really wanted to tell was how they did this experiment where they took this this plant from the jungle and they were trying to recreate it in a lab, but the plant continued to die. And they recreated it exactly the way it was in the jungle climate, everything. They had everything it ever could to make it think that it was in the jungle, but it was still continued to die until they figured out that they didn't have the sounds of the jungle. And so once they started to introduce the sounds that it was used to, it actually was able to live and, and reproduce its own kind inside a lab. And I think that correlates with what we've heard in the Bible, where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing. So, so if faith comes by hearing and hearing, talk to me more about how this builds this resiliency and, and, and what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's even so cool to see it coming from a Christian perspective. Um, I mean, there's been so many weeks at church where um, we'll do a song and then somebody will come up after the service and just say, wow, that song really touched my heart, you know, or um, you know, you're going through a hard time, whatever it may be, and you turn on the radio, and there's God speaking to you plainly through music, and I think um, we oftentimes forget about that, how, you know, God speaks to us in all these different ways, and so I think it's just, you know, it's so important to open up that avenue, you know, I know people that'll say I'm not a very musical person, or, you know, that kind of thing, and it's like, you don't have to be for music to speak to you, or for you to be able um, to, openly worship God in that way you know so I think it's just important to recognize that God tries to reach us through all avenues and that can be worship at church it can be just turning on any radio station you know God's trying to speak to us through those different avenues if we let him yeah it's definitely a higher frequency I mean it's something that I mean energizes the spirit mind and body and I think that's that's something that that needs to be, you know, introduced more and cultivated more and, and educated more and talked about more. And I think it's great that you have that as your background. And I think not just your background, but really a forefront. And I think that is a huge, huge avenue for you in, in everything that you're doing. I think that's really amazing. Yeah, it's been, it's certainly interesting to see, you know, how all of these conversations, you know, that we're talking about here, how it's all so connected and so tied together and just plays such a big role in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's awesome because it is holistic, like we were talking about. And I just noticed from my own perspective, one of my biggest fears, so my, like the root of my, one of my bigger fears is the fear of being misunderstood. And I grew up in a church. I grew up the son of a pastor, but one of the things I never did was raise my hand hands and music just and I had all these reasons not to and I just started doing it and it's very liberating and I can honestly tell you that my life has been more anointed and more blessed and I just been more fearless because of it do you have any like testimony to that or like what have you experienced when you've done stuff like that yeah I think um that, that's hard for sure you know I the church that I'm at, I love my church. I love my church family but we're not very we're not charismatic in that way so I think we've grown to be more so in the past 10 years even but you know if you're going to our church and you raise your hands in worship you know you might be one of 10 or 12 you know which I mean it's still a good thing but it's just not as much a part of at our church um, I think 
being on worship team and that sort of thing, especially being up on stage, it can be hard because you're thinking in your head like, oh, I don't want people to judge me. What are they going to be thinking? Um, but I mean, I remember one Sunday, um, there's a girl that's a around the same age as me and, you know, we're very similar in how we worship. And I, it was when I was leading worship, I was like, I'm just going to worship unapologetically today. And she's like, I'm going to too. And if that means raising my hands in worship, like that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, I remember we were both up on stage singing and just lifting our hands to God in worship. And it was cool to see how many people started doing that with us. I think, you know, the more that you can model that to people, the more they feel comfortable doing it. I mean, I'll be in my car singing worship with my hands raised and stuff. And it's like, it's so freeing in a way, or, you know, I just feel so much closer to the spirit and not everybody needs to do that to feel closer to the spirit, you know, but just personally, um, I just feel so much closer to God when I do that. So I think it's, um, just important to realize like, Hey, I'm not doing this for people. I'm doing this so I can grow that connection with God. And if somebody is judging me for raising my hands in worship, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. Oh yeah, man. I love it. I love, I love how you said that because it's the truth. And that's, that's usually what stops well-meaning earnest people from, from doing things that, that God is asking us to do, right? Because we don't want to offend anyone, which is a good place to be. Okay. But at the end of the day, just like you said it, it's that connection. And if this, this, whatever this is, I don't know why, but for me, it helped me overcome fear. And that's, that's translated into other areas of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great that you're doing that on stage. And that was the other thing I'm going to say. God did tell me one time in church, he's like, well, maybe the worship leaders would like to see you do it. And I was like, oh yeah. I mean, wouldn't that make them feel a little bit more confident? <laughs> so I was like, so I make a point of purpose now, do it. And then God always gets me because I like to, I like to serve. And so he always communicates to me in an avenue where it's like, I, I know Josh will do it if I get him to serve someone else. So does God talk to you like that? Or, or like, does he always try to get you to serve or what is it? Yeah, you know, I think kind of just bouncing to what you were saying, it's so encouraging being up on stage and just seeing people that are genuinely worshiping. It can be so hard to go up on stage when people just don't look like they're in it, you know, and I get that we all worship different, you know, for some people that might be just kind of standing with their hands in their pocket, you know, just lightly sing along and that's totally fine. But if you are someone who wants to raise your hands in worship and stuff, it's so encouraging to the people up on stage to see that happen. It really is. I think that servant's heart and it is a really good way to look at it you know I think looking at the church community it's such like a connected circle I mean we go up on stage as a worship team leader we go up on stage to try to serve our church you know and like what you were saying raising your hands to try to you know serve the worship team more so I think it's just it's so encouraging to see how we are just kind of that connected circle that's ultimately going to God to serve him yeah and I think that's I mean, if I could define it even a little bit more, it's like, that's almost a, a hill. I mean, not almost, that's a hill that I'm willing to die on, like building each other up. Like that's, that's a hill that I think Christians want to find themselves on. It's like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to uplift this person. I don't, I don't care what, what's going on over here. I'm going to serve this person. I don't care what's going on over there or around me. I'm going to make sure that this person feels encouraged by putting themselves out there. And I think you're doing that on a daily basis. Sometimes we forget, but honestly, Grace, that is what you're doing on a daily basis with these kids. And I think that it's so inspiring. And I just think that we need to, I know, you know, the money isn't always there in the education system when it comes to paying teachers, but I mean, my goodness, we need to start really commending and in, in, in putting our resources and in, in our, in our heartfelt attitudes 
towards the community and in the education system more so than we have other things. And I think I think there is a time that's coming for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, even just with education or the church or society in general, it's so important to see how, you know, we have all these little different fields that we can go into or these um, facets that we're involved in. But I mean, ultimately, we are one community and we just need to support each other with wherever we're at for the greater good. You know, I think in today's society, it's so important or it's so um, it's so important to recognize that because it can be so easy to tear people down or, you know, be judgmental, want to make your opinion heard no matter who that hurts. Um, but I think it's just so important to recognize like, hey, we're a community and we just need to work together for the greater good here. Because I mean, when we're tearing people down, it's not helping anybody. No, not at all. And, and and the people that suffer the most from it is the person that's actually doing the tearing down. That's the person that, that suffers the most from it. That's very interesting. Okay, so we're coming up on an hour here and I've really enjoyed our conversation and I think it's been very amazing. And so this is the opportunity for you, Grace. Um, what are your final thoughts? Do you have any? I think we've just been kind of reiterating it over and over again is just that love and showing love, you know. Um, the Bible mentions it over and over and over again. And I think it can be so easy to just like lose sight of that. Even, you know, we see churches splitting up, we see um, families splitting up, we see all these divides. It's so important to just try to fill those with love and just remember that God commands us to love one another and to love him. And I think as long as we're doing that, you know, it's hard to go wrong when we're doing that. I think we just need to see more of that in society. We need to help build each other up we need to stop tearing each other down and I know that can be really hard sometimes and just model what it is to show Christ's love and you know I think we all have times where we're not so good at it I know that there's been times for me where I'm like oh my gosh I'm doing such a bad job showing God's love right now you know but I think it's just so important to um, really keep our focus on him and building others up yeah I kind of said it better Grace it's it's it is the truth. Like, keep your focus on him and and allow that to help you build others up. And I don't know, I'm just really excited for you and your future. I know you're just getting started, but it seems like you're a seasoned vet already. And, uh, you know, the sky's, the sky's the limit for you. So congratulations, Grace. Thank you for coming on here and doing this. That will conclude the fifth episode of Savara 22, season two. Thank you so much for being on here, Grace.